Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Tracy Longfield and I'm here with my colleague Anna Hart. We're both partners in the healthcare and public law team at DAC Beechcroft and this edition of our podcast focuses on criminal investigations within the health and care sector. So what's this all about? Well, the feedback we have from our clients is that they are under greater than ever pressure um, as organizations from regulators and the police. And so the purpose of this lawcast is to try and give you some uh, understanding of the practicalities when faced with a criminal investigation and some more information about the regulatory landscape in which you are operating. Anna, are you able to talk to us about what changes you've seen across the regulatory landscape in recent years, please. Yes, certainly. Thanks, Tracy. And hello to everybody. Um, Over recent years, we've certainly seen a shift in the regulatory landscape. The law applying to regulation of health and social care changed most significantly back in 2015, which feels like a long time ago, but it's taken some time for that to bed in and we're only really now starting to see the full effect of some of those changes. And it is very much the landscape that's changed. That's a question we get asked a lot is, is it us or is something else changing? And incidents that perhaps sort of five or eight years ago may have been dealt with as a difficult inquest and not much more are now receiving much greater regulatory attention. So that could be things like falls in residential care, it could be choking incidents, it could be patients ligaturing, it could be um, estates issues, all of which we've seen before but which are now certainly being treated in a slightly different way by the regulators. One of the biggest changes we're seeing is perhaps that there is an increase in police involvement in terms of how incidents are being investigated. So even though we were seeing a very small number of prosecutions and convictions for police-led offences, so those involving either corporate or gross negligence, manslaughter or ill-treatment and willful neglect, we are seeing much more of those um, investigations being commenced by the police and, and that has an impact on providers and the staff who are being asked to participate in those investigations. But we're also seeing CQC having a much greater role as an enforcer in the sector um, and we're seeing that both through civil and criminal enforcement. So that could be starting from unannounced inspections resulting in Section 31 notices and imposition of conditions all the way through to them using their own criminal enforcement powers um, and bringing cases through the magistrate's court. So Tracy, I think a question for you is what impact are we seeing this having on providers and, and what are the practical implications that, in terms of how this is affecting day-to-day operations? Thanks, Anna. Well, as you say, we are seeing increasing investigations across the sector and it does have a real impact on providers who are trying to provide safe care and treatment um, whilst often under investigation by either the CQC or the police. Um, it can mean that many providers will be asked to provide information to the police or CQC and they may be asked to provide large amounts of information in response to a criminal investigation and that can be time consuming and it can be disruptive and for providers they have to try and continue to provide safe care whilst providing timely responses to requests for information from regulators and that's difficult, it's a very difficult balance for them to try and strike. 
they may find that they are required to attend um, interviews under caution. And these are usually dealt with um, by way of correspondence, but that can require um, large amounts of time to be dedicated in order to pull together information requested by the police or CQC and also very lengthy um, responses to those interviews under caution. All of that is very time consuming for providers and it may ultimately and usually ultimately doesn't lead to a prosecution, um, but it still takes up the same amount of time in terms of preparation. Behind the scenes, our experience is essentially that there are lots of investigations, but not many of them see the light of day. However, we are seeing an increasing appetite for enforcement and we can therefore expect more prosecutions moving forward. One thing that makes it really difficult for providers is obviously where members of staff have left and there have been staff changes and just really trying to get the evidence to defend their position when there's been changes within the organisation. I just think it's really important that your records of meetings and um, communications with staff are stored so that if you need them at a future date in order to respond to a request from a regulator, then th that information is accessible um, so that you can provide that response. Um, so that's one practical way just to ensure that you um, document things very carefully and that you keep a record of that documentation. Anna, have we seen any increases in the number of health and care providers being prosecuted? I think the short answer to that, Tracy, is yes, we have. Um, there's very definitely been an increase in the number of providers being prosecuted. To put that in context, relatively speaking, it's still low in terms of the number of cases going through the criminal courts altogether. And for health and social care providers, prosecution remains the worst case scenario. But if we look at the numbers being prosecuted um, in the last 12 months, it really is significantly higher than has been in the, the 12 months before that and before that. It's also important, I think, to recognise that the rate of new prosecutions is also increasing. So in terms of our workload that we're seeing day in, day out, the number of sets of PACE questions under caution, which of course is the last stage of investigation before a decision to prosecution is made, are increasing. We're seeing more and more of those. And we're seeing more and more decisions to actually proceed to issuing proceedings at court. So that looks very much to be a trend that's going to continue. So when providers are being investigated, they do need to hold very much at the fore of their mind that that is very likely to be um, a possibility in terms of CQC's decision making. Um, in terms of that trend, what else have we seen that is useful for providers to know? Well, it, it seems that there is no real distinction between the type of providers that are being prosecuted. So it's really very broad from small independent providers who are perhaps owner managed all the way through to large NHS trusts. And again, we are seeing both um, mental health and acute health providers being prosecuted and residential care as well as um, acute medicine. Perhaps the most notable prosecution to reference at this point is one of the most recent ones, which was that involving an NHS trust that was prosecuted at the end of 2021, um, or rather was sentenced at the end of 2021. Um, and that was a case that involved a prosecution under Regulation 12, so a breach of the requirement to provide safe care and treatment in relation to the care provided to two 
individuals who went to the trust emergency department suffering from sepsis. Um, as a result of that case, the trust was fined just over £2.5 million, which is the most significant fine that we have seen imposed by the courts to date and quite a lot higher than anything we have seen before. Um, there was a detailed sentencing note on that in terms of how that fine was decided, which has been really useful from our understanding. Um, but certainly it gives an indication that the courts are, are increasingly willing to to impose big fines in cases where they feel there has been a significant breach. And again, that's relevant to providers of all sizes and um management structure, not just large public sector organisations. So it's something to be very much aware of. I think, Tracy, looking forward, what can we say to our listeners in terms of how they can help themselves in this situation? So we've talked a lot about what's changed and is changing. I think it'd be quite nice to look at what providers can do to, to ready themselves for these sorts of situations arising. Yeah, absolutely, Anna. Well, as we can anticipate a continuing rise in investigations and prosecutions, um, it is really important that organisations prepare themselves as best they can. So as I've stated earlier, I think it's really important that the documentation and evidence is available in the event of an investigation. Providers need to ensure that they have good governance arrangements in place. There need to be clear systems so that staff um, are provided with appropriate training and communication of policies and procedures. And we need to be able to um, show evidence of that to regulators in the event of an investigation or prosecution. It's really important that where there are issues um, that we can identify whether they are systemic issues or actually if they are down to the acts of individuals and that those individuals have been well trained and that that information had been communicated uh, to them. Um, that's the kind of information that we would want if we were trying to defend an action brought by a regulator. We'd need to be able to show that actually we did have appropriate systems in place in order to prevent um, such um, incidents occurring. And that if they did occur, it may have been due to a rogue act rather than a systemic issue. So therefore, providers uh, need to ensure their documentation is in place, that they have good evidence. And this is particularly important, as I say, where members of staff change and um, it's not always easy to remember who did what and when. And therefore, if there is some documentation showing what was done and when, and for example, evidence of um, minutes of meetings where staff were informed about new systems and procedures, um, emails which support the communication and implementation of policies, evidence that staff have read and understood policies. Um, I know we often see policies um, are drafted, but what good evidence do we have that they have been implemented properly? Uh, quite often, it's really good to see where staff have not only been communicated the policy, but they also have had to show that they've signed for it. And some Sometimes they've completed a quiz to show they've understood it as well. So as a defence lawyer, that's just wonderful evidence for us to be able to um, be able to produce to a regulator to show that the organisation was taking measures um, in order to ensure that staff understood um, what they needed to do in order to provide safe care and treatment. So Anna, um, how would you summarise the position? I think 
what we can say is that it's absolutely a case that all is not lost. I know there's a lot of quite concerning um, points we've covered today in terms of what the potential implications are for providers, but the purpose of us talking about it in this podcast and, and advising lots of our clients is around being ready and understanding the process and knowing what can be done to manage that investigation. So even after an incident has occurred, so it, this is not just about preventing the incidents occurring, which of course is a priority for every provider, but even if things do go wrong, we're still in a position where there's an awful lot that can be done to manage the investigation, to understand what's likely to happen and to really try and maintain control and minimise the the risk of um, significant criminal enforcement action. So providers really should be taking this opportunity to make sure they understand the regulatory landscape, both in terms of civil and criminal sanctions, what they mean, how they all fit together, and making sure that they are ready to respond in the event that an investigation does occur, and that they know how they can ensure that their management team and their staff on the ground are fully ready to to assist and cooperate the regulator, but in a way that makes sure that they provide the best possible defence and explanation of, of their actions. Um, so really, it's it's about being informed and about taking the opportunity to understand and reflect on the changes that we are seeing so that there are no surprises should they, they find themselves part of those processes. And I think that's a really good place to end this podcast, giving everybody some food for thought. So thank you to everybody for listening. Um, we hope it's been useful and we will issue more podcasts in future. Thank you. Thank you.